What's going on, everybody? Thomas Robertson here with another episode of Outside the Glass. Uh, excited to to be talking with you guys today about some Stanley Cup Final hockey. It's finally here, and what a series it is, guys. Washington Capitals versus the Vegas Golden Knights were tied at one after a couple of really exciting but really different games, uh, some controversy, uh, some goal scoring, some great goaltending. We've really had a great treat so far. Uh, and a big injury. Let's just go ahead and start with that in game two. To Evgeny Kuznetsov, the leading point scorer in the entire playoffs, uh, could be a huge loss for this Washington Capitals team. One off of the ice with a hit by Braden McNabb. First pairing defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights. But there is word today uh, from the Washington Post, Isabel Kershudian, and, and other Washington Capitals reporters that Evgeny Kuznetsov was skating in the optional morning skate this morning for the Capitals. And he was stick handling, and I believe that he was in a full contact jersey as well. So, very good news for the Capitals. They've labeled him as day to day with an upper body injury, but again, out skating and stick handling, which is key because a lot of fans thought that it was a wrist problem. There were a lot of fans on social media right after it happened and and right after the game saying that it was a broken wrist, but obviously no verifiable sources, no reliable sources were saying that. Uh, Just fans, I guess, saying what they saw, but all of them were saying it was a broken wrist. I never personally believed them. I needed confirmation from a better source. And right now it's looking like that's not the case. There's no way he would be out there stick handling in the next couple of days uh, with a broken wrist. So really good news for the Capitals. Even if he's not able to go, uh, able to go 100% for game three. Let's also talk about one of the big storylines from game two, Lars Eller. Coming up huge for the Washington Capitals in that game. Again, Kuznetsov goes down with about five minutes left in the first period. And in the next two minutes, he responds and gets a goal at four on four. And then adds a couple of, not only a couple assists, but a couple of primary assists and a couple of really nice assists. The first one being to Alex Ovechkin on the power play. Again, Eller filling that spot on the power play, on the first unit power play for Kuznetsov. Uh, kind of behind the net, side of the net area uh, where Kuznetsov normally normally hangs out out on that unit and uh, gets a pass from the point and just hits a beautiful one-touch pass, a one, little one-time pass right through the blue paint, went right under Marc-Andre Fleury's stick. He wasn't able to stop it. That's normally the goaltender's job to stop that pass, but it gets by him. Uh, and Ovechkin's got kind of a yawning cage there, and he and he banks it off the blocker of Marc Andre Fleury for a huge goal, and Alex Ovechkin's first goal, first Stanley Cup final goal in his career. So, not only was it him getting on the score sheet, but he was just a force throughout the game on both sides of the ice. He's a really, a really good forward, and that he's got a really good centerman, and that he's got skill. But he's also a really good two-way centerman, uh, pretty good in the face-off dot. Uh, that's pretty much the only area 
uh, that you could consider Kuznetsov a liability is in the faceoff dot. He actually has really improved his defensive game and back checks really well, especially this season. He's done a great job, but a, very much a liability in the faceoff dot. Um, so Ellers was a little bit of an improvement there. After Kuznetsov went off, unlike what Barry Melrose was saying, I don't know what his problem is, but Melrose was saying that Eller was moved up to the top line. That's not true. Backstrom moved up to the top line. Eller moved up to the second line uh, with Oshie and Vrana where he was when Backstrom went out earlier in the playoffs. Now, so they just kind of shifted all the centers up one, had Chandler Stevenson centering that fourth line, had a couple guys double shifting as well to fill in. Um, and he really stepped up huge uh, for this Capitals team. Let's go back to game one as well. Talk about the officiating in this series uh, was probably the most interesting thing to come out of that game. Uh, specifically two, two plays. Uh, go ahead and start with a Tom Wilson hit on Jonathan Marchessault, which people blew way out of proportion. I, I'm getting really tired of it with this Tom Wilson nonsense. I mean, Yes, he deserves some of what comes to him because he is a physical player and that is what he focuses on. That is his game. But that's not a dirty hit by any sense of the imagination. I think what the problem was – so what happened is Jonathan Marshall is carrying the puck through the neutral zone. He gets rid of it and Wilson comes in and finishes his check. That's what happened. Uh, He did not – take any extra strides after the pass was made. He just finished the path that he was on, finished his check, glided into him. That's really all that happened. I'm sorry if Jonathan Marsh says a small body uh, and weak on his skates and made it look like it was the biggest hit of the century, but that wasn't the case. Wilson glided into him, finished the check. Uh, and I think it was a couple camera angles the main camera angle on the initial replay that made it look so bad because it looked like he was just skating and hadn't even just finished a pass but hadn't been anywhere near the puck in a while. And then Wilson just comes up and jacked him. That's kind of what the replay made it look like. But when you really see what happened, you'll see that he just passes the puck. He is a little bit late, a little bit late, but nowhere close to thinking that he should be suspended for it. I mean – it's in the heat of the game. Like It's not like he came in with malicious intent way after he passed it. it. When you look at it in real time, it's not that late. He passes it. Wilson comes in to finish the hit. So I think people are just – people have it out for Tom Wilson. The refs have it out for Tom Wilson because the more ridiculous thing about that play to me is that David Perron comes on the ice – not in any way in being involved in a line change at all. Uh, that was his excuse for it afterwards. He thought there was a line change, but obviously not. Nobody came off the ice. No two players even looked like they were about to come on the ice with him. But right after this hit, David Perron sees it, comes on the ice, and immediately skates towards Ovechkin. Ovechkin sees him coming, and Perron braces like he's going to try to hit him and do some kind of retaliation. But Ovechkin fortunately saw him, was ready, and they, they both kind of hit each other. But then Perron just gives him like a ridiculous cross check or a slash. I can't remember which one it was, but gives him a cheap shot, a complete cheap shot after that. And you can't do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Coming on off the bench to retaliate, that 
is in the NHL rulebook as a criteria for a major penalty, which Perron should have been given because he came onto the ice trying to start something um, after, I guess, what he saw was a questionable hit from Tom Wilson. Um, the other controversial play in this game was the tying goal for the Vegas Golden Knights where Ryan Reeves cross-checked John Carlson in the slot literally one second before he scored the goal to tie the game at 4-4. Carlson has position on Reeves. He is in between him and the net. Um, However, I do think it would have been smarter of Carlson to turn around and face Reeves and take away his stick. But still, he's got good position, um, kind of backing Reeves out of the slot, and Reeves just give him a cross check, gives him a cross check straight to the numbers. Carlson goes down, the pass comes to Reeves, and he buries it, um, and no penalties called. And I'm telling you right now, people are saying, "Oh, how does the ref miss that? How can you miss that?" He didn't miss it. There's no chance the ref missed that. He saw it and chose not to call the penalty. I'm not saying there's like collusion or anything, obviously, but I just think the ref saw it and chose not to call it. He said, let him play, which is, I think is ridiculous. I mean, you've got to call that penalty. It's a very obvious penalty that led directly to a goal. And they called the exact same cross check in game two when Alex Tuck gave a cross check in the slot to John Carlson, same, same defender for the Caps. They called it in game two. They made the right call there. But they didn't call it in game one. Leads to a goal for Vegas. Vegas ends up getting the win. Uh, it's And that's only one example of how it was kind of a tale of of two different games in this series. Um, first game was really wide open. And even though I think the Caps had a lot of opportunities to win this game, and I think Vegas kind of stole this game away from them, even though I do think Vegas played a little bit better, the way the game turned out, it seemed like the Capitals had the better of the chances uh, and the luck just didn't really go their way. But anyways, that first game really played more into the hands of Vegas, just the style of play. It was a lot more loosey-goosey and a lot more back and forth, uh, more offensive with some sloppy plays going on uh, in the defensive zone of both teams. And that's not how the Capitals want to play, especially – uh, in the neutral zone, the Capitals on the defensive side, they want to build that line. They want to build that picket fence and really slow teams down through the neutral zone, force them to dump the puck in, uh, and then kind of be physical on the back end and get the puck out of the zone. Uh, but also on the offensive side, the Capitals do not they, – they have shown a really good ability to be able to take advantage of other teams' mistakes and make do on that, especially in the Penguins series. They had a lot of odd man rushes that they capitalized on. Uh, and they can play that game, but with the Vegas Golden Knights, it's kind of a different story. They want to, to control the puck in their own zone, uh, set up their systems, and then cleanly break the puck out of their uh, defensive zone and, and through the neutral zone to create offense. Um they want to be decisive and quick moving the puck through, but they definitely don't want to go back and forth and have a track meet with the Vegas Golden Knights. That's sort of what happened in game one and I think was their ultimate downfall. In game two, the first eight minutes of this game, the the, the Golden Knights looked absolutely dominant. It was one of the most dominant eight minutes of hockey that I've ever seen personally. Uh, 
just in my opinion, the Knights were controlling every phase of the game. They were playing exactly how they wanted to play, pressuring every single puck when the Capitals got it on their tape. Um, and they just made life really, really difficult for the Capitals. Um, so James Neal gets the goal as a result of that. Um, play is still, I think, in favor of the Golden Knights until I hit on Kuznetsov. But after that, they really started to hunker down, play more physical. That's a huge key for the Capitals. They don't want to get themselves out of position chasing hits. But they do want to take every single hit they can when they're available. I think it's going to be beneficial to the Capitals to – uh, get some of that stuff going on after the whistle. I think that's a big part of the Vegas Golden Knights game is they don't like to participate in that kind of stuff. But the, the Capitals have been able to draw them into doing that so far uh, and kind of getting them off their game, turning it into a more physical battle. I think that's gonna that kind of game is going to play into the Capitals' favor every time with their size, their checking ability. So I think that was a big thing for the Capitals in Game 2 as well. And they were just able to slow the game down uh, they dumped the puck in, really got their forecheck involved, started laying some hits on their D, uh, and getting in deep on the forecheck, slowing the game down. Uh, and when they lose the puck, they still are able to have guys back and start to build that picket fence and slow down Vegas and force them to dump the puck in. While Vegas is a decent forechecking team, I don't think they have the size to be able to rely on dumping the puck in and getting in on their forecheck every time to create offense. I don't think that's going to work for this Vegas team. They have to be able to cleanly enter the zone, cleanly make passes through the neutral zone and get in the offensive zone without having to dump the puck in uh, for the most part. That's going to be key for Vegas if they're able to do that. But but the Capitals have shown a very great ability to slow that slow that style of offense down, especially when the game uh, – especially when the Capitals are ahead in the game. If they're tied, they're still able to do that pretty well. But if Vegas is able to get to to get ahead in games and get the lead early, that's going to be huge for them to be able to stop that style from the Capitals and force them to play a little bit more wide open. Uh, but I think while the Capitals did get down, they were able to tie it up uh, before first intermission, uh, and they were able to really play their game from there. So. Again, kind of a tale of two different games, and, and who would I be if I didn't talk about uh, the save? One of the best saves that I've ever seen from, from Braden Holtby that is the pretty much the sole reason that this series is tied right now. Uh, two minutes left, Capitals are up 3-2, to two, and Vegas dumps the puck in. It's rolling around the boards, and then all of a sudden the most Capitals thing ever happens to the Capitals, and there's a ridiculous carom off the boards, and it comes out right through the slot directly to, I believe it was Cody Eakin for the for the Golden Knights, and he sweeps it right back uh, across ice pass to Alex Tuck, and he's got a wide open net, just a completely yawning cage, and Holtby uh, is still pretty much square to Eakin when Tuck gets that puck. But, uh, and, and let me just say me and every other Capitals fan in the world is thinking, here we go. It's a tie game, and we're probably going to go to overtime and see what happens, and something really horrible could happen to this Capitals team. And we're all just thinking that, just pretty much in full uh, misery mode at this point. Uh, but then Brayden Holby 
he, he really shows his battle, uh, his battle ability and uh, just his complete desire in these Stanley Cup finals to do whatever it takes. Uh, and he just lunges across his crease, uh, gets his paddle out, and somehow Tuck, I'm somehow, uh, I'm not even going to say Tuck shot it into his paddle because the shot was off before his stick was even in position. But somehow Tuck shoots it, doesn't quite elevate it uh, as much as he'd probably like to. Uh, and Holtby gets his stick down and makes one of the best saves you'll ever see. Uh, and controls the rebound as well, which was huge. Uh, they're calling it the save in Washington as they should. The biggest save in Capitals franchise history. Uh, and honestly, probably one of the biggest saves in Stanley Cup final history as well. Uh, let's get into three stars of, uh, of Wednesday night's game, game two. Uh, I got to go Alex Ovechkin for the third star. Uh, he brought the physicality in a huge way. He got a power play goal in the second period, about six minutes into the second period, uh, to take the lead, which was huge, obviously. But aside from that, he was physical. Laying the body, got a few bone-crushing hits. Uh, had an incredible shot block at some point in the game. Can't exactly remember when, but he he kneeled down to get in the shooter's lane but kind of slid past, and I think it was Colin Miller who kind of shot-faked him, and he slid past a little bit. But then Miller winds up again to actually take the shot. Ovechkin's a little bit out of position but just sticks his leg way back to get that foot back in the lane and he blocks it with his foot and then clears the puck out of the zone from his knees. And that right there is winning and losing. I mean, that is an incredible effort from Ovechkin, especially from a star player like that uh, to get the puck out. Third star goes to Alex Ovechkin. Second, second star. It's really tough between two, two different capitals guys. I got to go Lars Eller for the second star though. Two assists and a goal, three point night for him. And you say, wow, there was only, you know, the Capitals only scored three goals and he got three points. He was involved in all three. How does he not get the first star? Well, let me just first talk about how Eller was flying all over the ice. Not only when he made those incredible plays, uh, beautiful one-time pass to Ovechkin again for the goal, and a beautiful sort of no-look sweep drop pass to Brooks Orpik for him to get a goal. Uh, and then, of course, he, he scores a goal of his own in the first period to tie the game. Huge goal for the Capitals. Uh, so let me just first say that he had an incredible game, very much deserving of the first star, but I have to give him the second star. And you say, how is that even possible, considering what you just said about him, how good his game was? Well, folks, I think that you are absolutely off your rocker if you say anybody deserves the first star of this game more than Braden Holpe. Um Let's put the save aside. Put that aside. Uh, two minutes left. Game-saving save. One of the best you'll ever see. Put that aside. This man still had 36 saves outside of that save. So he had 37 on the night. Outside of that save, had 36 saves. Uh, only allowed two goals, uh, both of which are pretty much unsavable. I mean, you look at that second goal and you're kind of frustrated as a Caps fan because it's such a slow, wimpy shot, but... Vegas Golden Knights had two incredible screens set up right in front of Holtby. He has to lean the other way just to get an eye on the shot. And he's just sort of kind of guessing with his glove because he knows it's coming, but he has to just guess because he really can't see it. So you can't blame him on that at all. And then James Neal with an absolute snipe. James Neal James Neal gets the steal, puts it off the steal Neal, 
uh, with a good snipe uh, off the bar. So there's no way Holby or any other goaltender in the world stopping that shot. Uh, but all night, the Golden Knights were raining shots down from the point. Uh, not to say, I think the Capitals really had the better of this game, even though the, the Golden Knights had like 13 more shots, I believe it was. I still think the Capitals had, had a better game. But the Golden Knights were raining shots down whenever they could. They also had three more power plays than the Capitals, which played into the shot differential as well. They were raining shots down from everywhere. And let's not forget about the five on three that the Golden Knights had in the third period. That's the turning point of the game to me when the Capitals killed that off. And Braden Holby is the biggest part of that. Had an incredible save on uh, Nate Schmidt. No, maybe it was Colin Miller. It was one of those two D men on the power play. But gets a great save with a stick. Uh, Kind of the shaft of his stick, blocker side, to, to, to get it out of there. Couple more shots from the point of that five on three. I do think that the Golden Knights really should have moved the puck around a little bit more. Uh, they were really just kind of one one pass and then one time shot, or even just lug the puck in and get a shot on. Uh, not really smart play from them on the five on three, but still, Braden Holtby, absolutely incredible game, making huge saves time and time again, and his positioning was incredible all night. That was really the strength of his game, I think, and his rebound control as well. And then, of course, made the save uh, with two minutes left in the game uh, for the Capitals to win the game. Do want to give an honorable mention as well to Brooks Orpik, uh, who scored his first goal since the Obama administration. <laughs> he uh, 221 games without a goal until last night, and he gets a huge one for the Capitals, the game-winning goal in a Stanley Cup final. Not a bad way to break a 221-game goal scoring drought. <laughs> So he came up huge for the Capitals with that goal. And uh, just an incredible game. And an absolutely incredible series. I will say this. Uh, I haven't given enough credit, I think, to the Golden Knights. They truly, when they're playing their best game, they're the best team in the National Hockey League. And I think you saw that in uh, the first period in Game 1, especially the first half of that first period, and then the first half of the first period in Game 2. They just dominated, and I've never seen a team play hockey like that. They swarm. They use incredible speed, and every time the opponent gets the puck, they put immediate pressure on them, and they force them to make a turnover. Uh, The Capitals have wised up a little bit after those surges and and been a little bit more cautious but also more decisive with the puck. But at the same time, it's something that the Golden Knights, I think, are able to do for a full 60 and if they do that, the Capitals are going to be in trouble if they pressure that puck and, and, and use that ridiculous speed. I think it could also have to do with a little bit of fatigue playing, you know, well, some 110 games or so this season. I guess the Golden Knights aren't at that. The Capitals are almost at that point. Golden Knights have played a few less games in the postseason. But playing, you know, more than 100 games, they're starting to fatigue a little bit, especially with their style of play and how much speed and effort that they use. Uh, you could be seeing that, but... This Golden Knights team is very, very dangerous, um, and I just. But at the same time, when the Capitals set up their game, the way they play, so solid defensively, uh, really stout in the neutral zone, and just really firm and hard on the forecheck, very physical. And they also have superstar talent, obviously, and still pretty good speed. So it's going to be an absolute battle, an incredible series to watch. It's going to be so fun. I don't know if we've had a better Stanley Cup final matchup 
definitely in the last decade, but maybe ever. I mean, this is just such an intriguing uh, final matchup, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, talk about Game 3 a little bit, coming into Capital One Arena, the Capitals coming back home. The Capitals are 9-3 and three on the road this postseason, so it's almost like they'd prefer to be on the road. Um, it's almost an advantage for them when they're on the road, the way that they're playing. Um, and only four and five at home at Capital One Arena. They're under 500 right now. A couple interesting things to note. No team in history has ever won a Stanley Cup final, has ever won a Stanley Cup uh, with six losses at home. Uh, and another thing, I believe that the record for road lock, for road wins in a single postseason is 10. So the Capitals are one road away win from tying that record, and they're one loss away from being, well, they obviously would have to win the Stanley Cup, but if they lose a game at home and still win the Cup, they'll also be in the record books. Um, so just, a, you know, obviously if the Golden Knights win, they're going to break all sorts of records and just be absolutely ridiculous, you know. But also... You know, the Capitals are doing a lot of record record setting things too and showing a lot of resiliency because they would also, if they win the Stanley Cup, they would also be the first team in NHL history to win the Cup after trailing in each of their four series uh, because they trailed the first series obviously two to nothing. Uh, they trailed against the Penguins uh, one to nothing. They trailed against the Lightning three to two and they trailed against this Vegas team, team one to nothing. So. Uh, just a really intriguing, so many different storylines in this series. And I'm watching a replay of the game right now and watch this Brooks Orpic goal. Uh, I'm literally looking at it right now. Uh, goes off Tuck's elbow, bounces off the left post and in. Uh, kind of a fluky, funky goal, but I don't think Brooks Orpic's going to get a goal any other way. So you got to take that if you're Brooks Orpic. Uh, but again, game three, Capital One Arena. I expect the Golden Knights to come out hard again like they have in the first two games uh, and, and dominate the first 10 minutes or so. But again, it's tough to, to, to see this Capitals team not being able to establish their game on home ice. Uh, I know that they're under 500 on the road, but this crowd at Capital One Arena is going to be like they never have been before. They won, uh, they've won when they really have had to at home, and that's the key. They drop their first two games at home to Columbus, uh, but then they win two on the road. It's two to two, and in an absolutely pivotal game five, they win at home. Uh, you know, they drop the first game at home to the Penguins. They win the second one to avoid going down 2-0 again and going on the road. That's huge. Uh, and then again, they win a pivotal game five against Pittsburgh. Um, they drop two games in a row at home to Tampa Bay, and it's 2-2, but they win a critical game six uh, when facing elimination at home. And so they've won when it really matters most at home, even though they have dropped five games, they've won the ones that really have mattered. Uh, and I think when you get to the Stanley cup final, every, every game is like that. So I expect them to put on a great performance. I don't, I don't read anything into that four and five at home. Uh, I think it's going to be completely different this time. The crowd is going to be electric, uh, and I don't think that home ice thing is going to have anything to do with the outcome of this game. Uh, they're going to play a solid game, and I expect them to establish their game uh, and play like they did in game two. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I can't make a prediction right now. 
I uh, can't do it to myself. Can't predict these Washington Capitals games. I can't do it to my to my heart. I just got to see what happens. But I believe in this Capitals team absolutely. Um, I think that what they're doing right now in terms of playing a really consistent brand of hockey and really playing their game and establishing a, st- a distinct style of play that fits in with their personnel has been something that's separated this team from the past. Uh, and that's why they're here right now in the Stanley Cup final. And obviously Vegas, uh, they're all about speed uh, and, and great passing ability as well, playmaking ability, a quick strike offense, kind of like Penguins teams of the past. Penguins weren't quite able to live that live up to that style of play this year, but this Golden Knights team does remind me of past Penguins teams with their incredible speed and quick strike ability. And of course, they have Marc Andre Fleury and Net, who has been absolutely incredible. So it, there's, it's just an incredible series. I can't overstate how interesting the series is uh, and how much fun it's going to be to watch these next uh, few games, however many we go. I wouldn't be surprised if we have five more games, uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of Outside the Glass. Thank you for sticking with me uh, and enjoy the rest of the Stanley Cup final because I know I'm going to. Uh, have a good one.